0: Welcome to AT Parenting Survival Podcast, where you get support and guidance through the chaos of parenting. Here's your host, child therapist, Natasha Daniels. Well, hello there, and welcome to another episode of the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. I want to talk to you today about your stress, your feelings of frustration and guilt and overwhelm and hopelessness, because I've had those feelings too. And I know that raising a kid with anxiety or OCD can be incredibly tough. If you have your own anxiety or your own stress, which most of us have some sort of stress going on in our lives, it makes it even that much harder to navigate because parenting is hard, but when you add all these struggles on top of it, it can feel kind of overwhelming and hopeless. So I wanted to talk to you about how to handle that today. So I invited Kevin Ashworth onto the show. He is the clinical director of the Northwest Anxiety Institute. He's the president of OCD Oregon. He actually also has a very cool YouTube channel called Fighting Fear with Kevin Ashworth. And he offers a lot of good insight and good information on how to parent kids with anxiety and OCD because he is in the thick of it like I am, and he's a parent, so he gets it. So we had a great talk. It was really fun talking to him. He had some really good mind shifts on how to look at things in a different way. I loved the way he thinks because it was very similar to me. So uh, without further ado, here's my conversation with Kevin. Well, I want to welcome Kevin to the show. Thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it.
1: My pleasure. Yeah, Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah. So I wonder if you can just go into a little bit about how you got started um, as a clinical director and kind of your journey to where you are right now.
1: Yeah. yeah. Psychology for me, you know, the the long story short, I think, is um, I was not someone that was destined to go to college. And I, I took a psych 101 class at community college and really fell in love with it. And so I worked hard to finish, you know, with a bachelor's degree. And then I started working with children. Um, who had been adjudicated in and out of the foster system and had some pretty traumatic lives and realized there's a whole world of, of people that struggle with with mental illness that I had the privilege of growing up not knowing about. Um, so I went on to get my master's degree um, where I fell in love with working with anxiety. Um, at the same time of, of studying anxiety and researching anxiety, I uh, worked uh, with children that have lessons in an inpatient psychiatric unit. And so it's impossible to work with children that have lessons without working with parents. And so I started seeing very common themes that parents were having, um, a lot of misunderstanding that parents have, and, and um, kind of had a knack for explaining things that seemed to work out well and, and helping parents connect with their kids. And so I went on to I, – I did um, four years of a doctoral program where I really focused on um, – Anxiety and, and actually children. And I wrote my dissertation on a model for working with kids called collaborative problem solving. Um, and then I founded Northwest Anxiety Institute. And in the last five years, it has grown considerably. And we now have a second clinic, a pediatric clinic, and we do parent workshops and parent groups and uh, treat everybody.
0: That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's so funny. I actually have like a really similar uh, evolution, you know. Really? That yeah. yeah. Cause I got um, started doing my internship. They, they by accident put me into a, a foster uh, group home with duly adjudicated teenagers Yes, and right. I wasn't going to work with kids and I fell in love. So, and then I worked in the treatment centers. So it's like,
1: that's sister? yeah. That's so, and that's, you know, that's the life lesson that you, I mean, working with that type of population, you know, those kids that are, you know, they're, they're a, a challenge to work with, but they're also just little kids. And yeah, and I think that's just kind of profound. And it's also the best learning experience you can have if you're interested in working. Oh,
0: it's like yeah. it's like psychology boot camp. yeah. Oh, my gosh,
1: exactly. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. I, I still have some trauma <laughs>
1: from that. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, for real, yeah.
0: So you are a perfect person to talk about this topic today, which is um, how to deal with our own anxiety as parents, yeah. help our kids with anxiety and OCD.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Um it's actually a huge topic. I just surveyed my audience and I was surprised that out of like four hundred and sixty people that responded, the biggest struggle that people had was self-care and their yeah. own anxiety. Which I wasn't expecting that. I wasn't expecting uh, that yeah. answer.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, the, the first thing to the first thing I think is that's really important to think about is we have to the goal as parents um, is to try and have your child be responsible for their own emotions. And that's really, really hard because when our kids are hurting or sad, like we wanna take that on. And so if you see that as a goal, then you can give up a lot of your stuff when your kid is distressed and not make it your responsibility to shift that emotion. And have the awareness that are you shifting, are you trying to make them happy or not anxious or not depressed or not something because you're actually just trying to manage your own distress because it's so uncomfortable, uh, and so that is kind of the global goal. That's a really hard task. It takes a million little behaviors and changes every single day. Um, but I think that also comes from this idea that none of us really know what we're doing. Um, there was there's no you know guidebook to, to parenting, and um, it's changed considerably over the last you know quite a few decades. Um, and we now, as parents, have feel like we have to behave or parent in a way um, based on a checklist or based on Instagram or based on, you know, what everyone else is doing with their kids in school. And so we're working through a lot of our own shame and our own anxiety that we've never really even kind of managed. And so it, it becomes very complex. Um, and, and then, you know, we know at a basic level that modeling, you know, we all know when your kids repeat <laughs> things and do behaviors that you do, it's like really cool and fascinating, but that's also your avoidances and your fears. You can see that get worked out in your very young children. and I think that's scary and fascinating at the same time.
0: Yeah. And I think, I think, you know, having this checklist that you talk about is so true just on general parenting terms. But then when you add, you know, you need to do this to help your child's anxiety or you need to do this to help your child's OCD, that checklist gets huge.
1: Right. The responsibility feels ginormous. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And a lot of times I'll get questions like, Natasha, how do I know if my child is having mental compulsions or how do I know if she's doing the ERP? Right. And and I'll say to parents, you're missing the boat completely (laughs) because – one, you're not psychic, so good luck with right, that. But right. two, like it's their journey. And so right. it's it's I like what you said about like this is their journey. You have to empower them, give them the tools, but then it's what they do with it. There's only so much you can do.
1: And we can only be responsible for our own emotions. And so if, if I have a child that had OCD, um, I can't ask them. I mean, it it fundamentally goes against the principles of the exposure for me to say. You need to touch that because that would be good for you. I can suggest, hey, it sounds like you're making decisions based on your OCD. How would you manage that? You know, or, or how would you challenge your OCD? But what I can control is I don't have to engage in your compulsions. Most of the families I work with, when we meet them, every person in the house functions like they have OCD. Right? And so mom is like, I don't have OCD, but I can't touch that. I can't sit there. I can't do this. I can't say this word. And so they all have lists of compulsions and safety behaviors that they're not allowed to engage in because one person the house. And it totally makes sense. And it's super insidious. Nobody says, I'm always going to give in to everything my kid wants. Uh, it's just like, I just want them to be happy right now. And they're so distressed all week long, and I just want them to have this right now. But this is the long game, and, and it's really trying to empower parents to, like, feel good and confident that they're not responsible for their kids' distress, and they don't have to participate, in it. and they can't actually control whether their kids go to therapy or work on their ERP or do whatever, um, but that's really good.
0: Yeah, and I think that's a good message to convey. Whether it's anxiety or OCD is, you know, our kids are going to struggle, yeah. and Sometimes there's nothing you can do to fix that. And so the best thing you can do in those moments is self-containment. You know, like some self-control of how are you going to be okay while they're not okay?
1: Well, modeling is so powerful. And so the other thing that anxious kids struggle with is when parents start shifting expectations, backpedaling based on anxiety because anxiety loads completely on the intolerance of uncertainty. And so my parent becomes unpredictable every time I melt down because of those things, right? Whatever. That actually turns my anxiety up because I don't know if they could manage me. And so when parents are consistent, empathic, and loving, but not like, we'll do this and we'll change this and I don't know how to manage this, kids feel grounded and safer. And and kids will tell me that all the time. You know, We'll say, I'll say, well, don't you talk to your folks about this? Kids will say, my mom can't handle. My mom can't handle that, and you know that's devastating for their moms to hear that because they're like, "What? I'm in the trenches with them every single day," but they really see like that's too much.
0: Yeah, and, and I think sometimes it's a fake it till you make it kind of thing um, because I think a lot of times parentally we overreact because it's triggering our own anxiety. Absolutely. So it's either you can't have this problem because we already fixed this. So you're not allowed to have this again, or I'm already having an anxious day and I just don't have any more space or capacity to handle you right now. So I'm going to explode as well.
1: And that's the self care piece. That's, that's the modeling piece. I think when kids realize, and if we talk, you know, most of us just don't talk about negative emotion, right? So we we're happy to express excitement and all these other things, and we cry behind closed doors, and we talk about difficult things. But we can model we can model these things to our kids by saying, like, "I know we're supposed to have dinner at five o'clock, but I'm having a pretty rough day. Uh, I just get a lot on my mind, so it's it's going to be a little bit later because I'm just going to go and chill for fifteen minutes, like a self time out, and depending on the age of the kid." as they get older, that becomes really helpful modeling because you will see that that gets implemented then the kids like, not only am I weird for all my scary feelings and thoughts, my mom or dad who are superheroes in my eyes also feel scared sometimes. They also experience stress. And they still go to work and they still make dinner and they still play with us. That's pretty cool. So I think it's great to talk about you know, appropriately your negative emotions and how you're processing those and how you're dealing with those. And some of the initial training that we get, you know, when you're learning to be a therapist, it's like, know what your stuff is. Uh, so it doesn't bubble up when your client says something, and you're like, I haven't thought about that in years. Oh my
0: gosh. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: but that's totally the same. You know, like, I have never, like, for me, you know, I'm a go, go, go kind of person. And, my, my, I have two children. I have a four year old and I have a four month old. And when my, my four year old was born um, and I was home with her, I started feeling really, really anxious. And I couldn't quite put my finger on it. And I, I know enough to not jump into all the why is this happening? I was just, this is an experience. This is an experience. But for me, what it was is being with a brand new baby, it was probably the first time in. Years I was present with myself. I didn't have a device or the TV or a person to chat with, or I wasn't doing something to constantly distract myself. And I think as I sat, I just felt things that I hadn't really allowed myself to feel. So it was kind of profound and really cool because it was also like, I really want to be present. I don't want to be the dad that and it's not a judgment. I just I want I don't want to miss these opportunities. And I don't want to be on my phone or watching TV or, or doing these other things if I can be staring at that face. And, uh, but but that brought up a lot of stuff for me because I don't know if I'm that present with anyone. Um, and when I'm in therapy, I'm present, but it's not on my stuff, you know. So it's, it's a different process. Mm-hmm. So I think the reason I say that is I think we, as therapists, we learn that. But as parents, we've got to be aware of that stuff too. And yeah. so much of our own anxiety... And our children's anxiety is super predictable. We just choose not to talk about it when we're not experiencing
0: it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and I think they feed into each other. And, um, yes. you know, I think we do, we do try to keep busy to, to not think about things. And um, yeah, I remember that too. Like just, you know, being with a newborn and being up at like three o'clock in the morning, four o'clock in the morning and having nothing but just my thoughts right. um, and my hormones.
1: A <laughs> <Right. laughs> terrible. Yeah. Yeah, that's, I just got off the phone with my wife and she said, why is this little one waking up every two hours? You know, at and, and 530 she's wide awake and I'm like, all right, babe, see ya. <laughs> but, um, guy,
0: I don't miss that. I don't yeah. miss that at all. It's cute from afar.
1: Yeah. It's cute uh, from afar, yes. Yeah. I can go back somewhere. <laughs> you know, I'm heading out uh,
0: But I want to go back to your point because you had a really good point about, um, modeling, you know, our own stuff in an appropriate way. And I think, I think that's also part of where parents make me feel anxious is it's okay that this thing is going to be messy. Do you know those fancy food subscriptions? I love the idea of that. I love the convenience and how healthy it is, but my kids would never touch that food. I tried it and it was a complete waste of money because the food was too fancy. So I want to talk to you about Yumble. Yumble is a food subscription plan, but it's for kids. So you get that convenience and the health, but it also adds fun and food that kids will eat. It comes with chicken pops that come on a stick and the kids can dunk it. But not only does it come with really cute food with cute names, but it's food that kids will like, they'll eat, and they get activities like cool coloring sheets and mazes, and they get collectible coins that can be redeemed for prizes and kids will get excited about the Yumble box coming each week. So Yumble is doing a cool thing and it's giving my listeners at the AT Parenting Survival podcast, 30% off your two weeks subscription. So you can try Yumble by going to yumblekids.com. That's Y-U-M-B-L-E kids.com and use the promo code parenting30 that is Parenting Three Zero to get your thirty percent off. You're listening to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. For more parenting support, check out Natasha's parenting e courses on a variety of topics. Each parenting e course includes a series of teaching videos that can be watched at your own pace. For more information, visit anxioustoddlers.com forward slash parenting hyphen videos. It's okay that you're going to have really bad days. Um, I have really bad days and, and that's a learning moment eventually because, you know, I will have like my son um, had just really bad period recently. Like for about a month, he had some activation syndrome. He went on some medication and it was just a nightmare. And I was really at, at my wits end. And, you know, towards the end of that, he said to me, mom, take a breath before you roar. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, first of all, who told you that? Because I never right. say that. That's pretty oh, cool. Yeah, that's pretty yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know. I was like, are yeah. wow, you getting this stuff. Yeah. It's like good material. Yeah. But also, it was eye-opening, like, that all the seeds I'm planting are being, even though those aren't my words, like, that's my message. And, yeah. and, and then I was uh, really appreciative. And I can come back and say, you know what? Thank you. I was out of control and I appreciate your calmness when I was having a rough moment. So I feel like things don't have to go perfect. You just take every messy moment and you turn it into a learning experience.
1: And that's exactly it. One of the biggest problems that drives so much anxiety for parents is there's this feeling that everybody else is doing it right and we're not. And it's just not true. And there's no right way There's no wrong way. It's just get through what you can. And we know that children do just fine. Kids are extremely resilient, and they manage things just fine. And so all these little extra things that we try and do to be the perfect parents and making sure they're having these amazing experiences. You know, they're never looking at the TV because, oh, my gosh, or maybe they do, but I would never tell my friends that because, you know, and everybody's kids are doing that. Nobody talks about it. Um, (laughs) But it's accepting that like we're all imperfect in lots of ways, and a lot of this stuff we don't know because every child is different. So even if you have multiple children and you think you've been through it, every temperament, every interaction, things have changed since then. Your temperament has changed. Your life has changed. And um, there's no cookie-cutter plate for this stuff. So, yeah, I think the modeling is not modeling how to do things well. It's modeling vulnerability it's modeling yeah. that things are just hard and the only place we can be is be okay with that.
0: Yeah. And I think it's just that acceptance piece of accepting, you know, that you had a bad, ugly parent moment or your kid is having a bad, ugly kid moment and it just is what it is. And there's nothing that's going to be able to fix yeah. it in that moment.
1: Yeah, exactly. And, and I think yeah, some of it is it's, for some parents, they, they, the same process they did when other things in their life aren't going well and they blame themselves because of shaming issues or uh, insecurity issues or anxiety whatever it is well that's not going to change because you have a kid and so if your kid is not successful if that's the pattern you have in your relationships if that's the pattern you have with your parents if that's the pattern you have at school that's the pattern you will likely have with your children unless you're aware of it and you say, Hey, I've noticed I do this thing. I always blame myself when somebody else in my life is struggling. I need to quit that. What's up with that? How do I go about that? You got to have a plan for it.
0: Yeah, and I think awareness that's, that's such a good point. Like, this is what I do. I blame myself when things are going south. And that I, whenever I'm doing an intake, and I'm sure you probably experienced this too, a lot of times I'll get a parent who will say, We're spending half the session talking about what they could have possibly done to cause this, right? You know, I'm anxious. Did I, did I give this to my kid or I went away for two weeks? Did I do, did I cause this? Or I had a health issue five years ago. Do you think that right. caused that? Right.
1: Yeah. And, and I, you know, I often say, if I answered any of those questions, how would that impact the way that you would behave tomorrow? Right. For you, Right, I could give you the reassurance, but the doubt will creep in that maybe it was that you were sick for the first two years of their life, or you went away on vacation, or you your husband, or you and your wife broke up, or whatever it is, possibly. But we know there's lots of children that have parents that are divorced and aren't doing great. And there's lots of kids that never went through divorce and aren't, and vice versa. <laughs> and so there's no causal <laughs> relationship with any of this stuff. Um, and you don't know if, you know, someone staring their child in the coffee shop feels profound and traumatic where your other kid ran from a burning building doesn't bother them at all. We don't know. All, all that I help people focus on is how can we change their behavior today? Yeah. Their behavior to change their emotion. Because if we get stuck in this dialogue of my child has anxiety because, uh, we create an identity for them. That's really hard to shake even with all the best treatment. um, That's their, if
0: that's their model, the the way that they see them, that's our expectation of themselves. That's how they behave. Yeah. Uh, Helping parents shift that too is really hard. It is. And I think it's good for them to realize that there are kids that have been through a lot of stuff and, and they don't have anxiety. I use that example too. I'll say, you know, I was in foster care and I worked in, you know, worked some severely abused kids and, you know they had some trauma, but they didn't have anxiety. So right. you know, one does not always equal the other. So that we can Absolutely. shift the blame and the focus, and and get busy developing the skills to teach our kids how to how to cope with these things.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, shifting the blame, and because nobody, if you're working from a place of a place of blame, uh, you just can't. You know, I'm really interested in like uh, you know because I'm a behaviorist, I'm really interested in dogs and dog training and things like that. And I say
0: to parents like, so I don't know if, it, if this is offensive, I apologize. Uh, <laughs> Nothing's offensive
1: uh, me. There are people who um, adopt dogs and incorporate them into their life, and um, the dogs you know, kind of transition really well. There are lots of people that adopt dogs but they rescue the dog and now the dog is a rescue dog. And that's the identity that the animal has. And so the person makes sure that because we're a rescue dog, they don't walk near loud streets and because we're a rescue dog, they don't have to do this. And because we're a rescue dog, now they get to be on the couch because we're a rescue dog. And they may have had it, I heard from the little blurb, they had a tough pass and what you create is a reactive sensitive dog. And then the explanation is it's okay to rescue dog. This makes sense. And, and, just from a basic behavioral level, uh, there's no the dog doesn't know that. But it's it's not feeding off of what happened to it when it was a puppy and it was abused terribly, it's feeding off of the interactions that are happening around them. And we have such a profound impact on how we influence other people every day by our without even speaking, just by our posture and the things that we do and the subtle accommodations that we make. Because if I always do an accommodation for you, um, I'm not just helping you out. I'm kind of telling you that that is too hard for you. Yeah. And that is a very slippery slope.
0: Yeah. That's, that's a great point because I do feel like if I was to talk about the two different extreme categories that I see in parenting um, with parents who maybe are a little bit anxious or a little bit stressed, it's either they are overzealous where they're like, they're taking notes, they're recording my sessions, they're, they're so active. Um, The only thing they can't do is the actual therapy for themselves, you know, versus like all the way on the other end of the spectrum is that so over accommodating, because they're anxious, and they just want their kids to be happy. And so they don't see where um, maybe having their kids be more resilient or not accommodating them. It's not cruel. It is it's a good thing for them. But I think because it's so triggering for their own anxiety that they, they really can't stop.
1: Right. Yeah. And it's a paradox, right? Because we know, you know, the less you accommodate, uh, the more likely confidence will build. Um, It's hard to learn a skill if someone always does it for you. And um, I get that it feels really, really uncomfortable. Um, And you have to live it and you have to be there for a hundred of those behaviors every single day um, but again it goes back to once you're once you accept that you're not responsible for your child's emotional well-being um, things get easier and what's so interesting about this i have having a four-year-old and i'm sure it'll shift is developmentally i think everybody well most people are on board with it uh, like <laughs> my wife just said on the phone she's in her room crying right now and i said oh what'd you do to her and she said <laughs> Well, we were going downstairs to play and play Princess Sophia, Princess Sophia. And she wanted me to carry five little figure toy things. And I'm carrying our other daughter. And so I said, No, you can carry those. No! She runs into her room. (laughs) Now, if my wife feels bad at our daughter's staff, she's going to say, Okay, Pam, come on out. I'll carry those down. Let me go put your sister down. I'll pick them up. But I don't know if people do that for a four-year-old. People are like, "Oh my gosh, you're four! This is like you, you're melting down totally." okay. But if you're ten, or you're eight, or you're twelve, or you're fourteen, we jump in very, very quickly because we're there's an experience that we want to protect. And I don't know if that's from a, just a relational level, like we know our four-year-old will just depend on us no matter what, um, or if it's uh, something else. Um, and another example is, you know, last year when we started preschool, she called, she cried, she didn't want to go. Uh, and everybody in the room was very calm. And the teacher came over and said, Goodbye, parents. <laughs> and that, if, if, and I think most people, our friends, people that aren't interested in psychology or understand any of this, would say, Well, of course she has to stay home, That that's okay. But that somehow, and everybody gets that at this age, and that was really interesting to me. But later on in life, people don't apply that same wisdom or principle. They, when their kid is distressed, they say, "Well, of course you don't have to do that if it makes you uncomfortable." But we get that that is true for every other part of our life, or every other experience other than emotion, physical stuff, athletics, academics, where everyone's okay with making your kid work hard and feel challenged so academically yeah you have to be challenged to get better physically you have to run to play soccer every day because your muscles get bigger and your muscles hurt totally but emotionally we're like oh you're uncomfortable well let's just protect you from that so it's yeah it's
0: it's i think i think part of it i think it's a twofold i think one parents need to know that it's okay and that this is they're helping. So a lot of times parents will say, I just need you to tell me, Natasha, that this is an okay thing to do. Yeah. Okay. And then I think the second thing is your kid is not going to like you for it. They're not going to necessarily appreciate you in the moment. And so they are, they are going to, and I do feel like it's good to find some middle ground. Like with my kids, three anxious kids, one with OCD, we talk in challenges every day. Yeah. So it's like, I want to go brush my teeth, but it's dark in there. Um, will yeah. you come with me? And you know, with my six year old, it's like, I mean, this is probably like a daily thing and I'll say, yeah. I can come with you, but you know, I'm giving a high five to your worry cloud or you could take a challenge. It's a game show at my house. You can take a right. challenge.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I love it.
0: yeah. You can go by yourself and there's, there's a challenge prize box and it is, it is constantly part of our vernacular well, and discussion. I'm not going to automatically get up and help her, but I'm also not going to force her because I want it to be her choice because it's her journey. Yes. And then
1: that balance is awesome. Yes. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And I think some, some people aren't there because like I'm there because when I give birth to kids, they're anxious. So we start, we start training from the womb onward. That's our thing. But I think there's a lot of parents who are playing catch up. They just got a diagnosis. they've been accommodating for years and they're going to start to pull back, start to empower, but their kid is imploding. So I wonder what some suggestions you have for parents who they need to tune out their kid. Who's just going to melt down and spew some hatred and they're going to feel really anxious about it. How do they stay calm in the moment?
1: Um, Yes. and, and your point is is very good, and, and, and I want to be clear that I often talk about this, and I get I get feedback that it sometimes feels like I'm saying, "So stop accommodating," right? But it's so nuanced, right? And it's yeah. a delicate balance, right? And again, nobody nobody wakes up with a hundred accommodations for their kids, and mm-hmm. so I understand that if you don't like, even if you have no idea that's OCP, when your kid says, "Hey, Dad, can you open that door for me?" Sure, like. I don't mind. Why not? All right. I, I will be a gentleman. Right? Mm-hmm. And I do that now for a year until I find out it's OCD. And then I say, no, we'll just, that's going to hurt. And that's going to take time to shift that, that one behavior. That's just one behavior. And we know that it's OCD. It's uh, you know, a thousand of them. Right. Mm-hmm. So what can parents do? I think predictability is really important. And so anticipate the worst, and ask yourself how are you going to manage that and what does that actually mean? Um, kids are the meanest to the people they love the most. And so remembering that is so important. And knowing that when people are, you know, coming from a place of raw emotion, they say and do things and behave in ways that it's not them. And having space and being non-reactive is really, really important because. What well, parents try to be with kids with anxiety disorders. If they try and parent from a conventional wisdom point of view, don't you yell at me. Um, if you behave poorly, you're grounded kind of thing, while also trying to balance these really subtle nuances. So if I remove accommodation and the kid flips out and swears, and my first response is, you're not allowed to swear in this house. Well, now I'm creating another meltdown because I'm – so expect that, be okay with it. And have a plan. And we all feel better when we have a plan. And also, be strategic about what accommodations you're going to reduce. I mean, this is part of therapy. What accommodations you're going to reduce, when you're going to reduce them. So don't do them at bedtime. Don't do them when children are hungry. Don't start them then. right? It may become part of that. So maybe your first attempt at reducing an accommodation or a safety behavior is at noon on a Saturday when a couple of your other kids are out, they're doing something and everybody's aware that it's going to happen. We're all okay that the meltdown may occur. And when it occurs, this is like all anxiety. This is, you know, OCE, this is anything. When anxiety whispers in your ear, do this or else, your kid melts down and we can say to ourselves, yeah, of course, we expected that. This is so predictable. There's a lot less reactivity that comes from it because that's, That's the fear. You haven't thought this out, or at least spoken about it with your partner, or a friend, or a therapist, or someone else. You're then trying to make decisions on the fly. You don't know what's going to happen. It feels very, very scary. Um, So, being uh, planning it out, I think is really helpful.
0: Yeah, and I think a lot of people don't plan it out. I think most people don't plan it out, and I think that's so important. So, expect. That they're going to implode and they're gonna say things. Don't don't get caught in that rabbit hole of talking about new behaviors, like why are they why are they disrespecting you and why aren't right. they going to the room? You know, right. leave all that aside. Right. And then I think just containment, um, noise canceling headphones that like, can be your friend in that moment right. if you're having a hard time. Also, I think having in my house we call them zones, and I say, you know, there's there's zones you can go to when you're upset. Yeah. So, you know, go in your beanbag, go in your pod chair. You have a lot of weird right. stuff. Yeah. Go so your little trampoline, go yeah. in my room, and put your headphones on so you have a quiet space. So I think developing over time places where your kids can go when they are um, out of control can be helpful right. too. but they yeah. may not. They might just plop in the dining room, follow you around, because um, they want you to do whatever they want you to do, right. um, or they don't want to do whatever they aren't supposed to be doing. Right. So, Sometimes it is literally just trying to keep yourself calm and uh, non-reactive, which can be tricky.
1: And some of it, I mean, I think if I get very, very specific, and this is what I I do with people with OCD, very, very specific about what can be said, what can your OCD come up with that is just going to be cruel and rude and mean? Because when it comes, you can go, it's so predictable. Of course, of course you threw that out there. Right. And so, Kids aren't that sophisticated, especially when they're emotional. So it's gonna be predictable. I hate you. You're the worst dad ever. You know, I wish mom was home right now. Or, you know, the things that you want to go, how oh, dare you, you know, I wish I lived with Uncle Blah blah or whatever it is. And it's not manic, it's not responding to that because it hurts your feelings. It's responding to that like this is their this is their distress talking. Yeah. And when they say those things, you can like, Yep, yeah, knew that one was coming. Oh, that's a new one. Or yep, yeah, knew that one was coming. And it really helps with that mm-hmm. reactivity. And so, I mean, I think of likely, I don't know this to be true, but when you think of the emergency people that are, you know, over practiced and over-trained to manage crisis and stressful situations. I'm sure that you know somehow a police officer has to be prepared for and expect that somebody is going to say absolutely everything they can. Mm-hmm. Um, to get a reaction out of them. And the Mm -hmm. training is, this isn't you. Actually, you know, working at residential, they would say terrible things about my wife when they were in trouble. And you have to learn to be like, I actually really like this kid. And that's not him saying this. He is, how distressed must my child be right now to say such awful things? And if you see it from a place of empathy, you have a lot more patience with it. So, they, man, they must be so distressed to say such hurtful things that they want this thing to stop. Them. Yeah. And I think, you know, coming at it from an empathic lens, it's probably the only thing we've got to remain patient.
0: Yeah. I think these are that's really good points. So, um, and actually, I'm going to be doing a Facebook Live in my private Facebook group, so nobody can be there. You yeah. <laughs> can do my private Facebook group on August 29th. Um, I can't remember when. I think twelve noon Pacific time on this topic on like how to handle like how to know when it's the anxiety or OCD or the behavior and then how to react differently because this is this is all the stuff that we're going to talk about is um, this tricky navigation
1: and life, life is so busy and there's so many demands and expectations on all of us and we don't like feeling bad. None of us do. And so you know, if your kid has a meltdown and you know everyone just gets to bed crying. And we don't wake up or we don't talk about that the next day after school. Like, hey, what happened? How did that get there? How, what do we do? What was, you know, if we just hope that that doesn't happen again, we have zero contingency for when that predictably happens again the following week. And you create this cycle because parents get stuck in the, well, I don't want to bring it to a, right. actually, a pretty good move. Right, right, and and some of that is not it's not manipulation at all. I do not like that word, but it's it's um, if a kid says, "No, I want to talk about this right now," this is where they really sat. Um, I say, "Yeah, I know," um, and I would like to eventually we never have to talk about it because it's not happening. But as long as there's something concerning, we got to have these really tough these conversations, and if that creates another meltdown, so be it. Because then the next conversation is. Oh, we have these really hard conversations. You've these really hard meltdowns. And if you can demonstrate that, I'm always going to come back to you and have a conversation about this. stuff. it's not going mm-hmm. away. You develop a dynamic where people learn when I struggle, we have to process. It. Yeah. And you don't use those terms. You sound weird really like a therapist. <laughs> you know, it's like, we got to check in. Dude. Like, yeah, you know, we got to chat because you had a rough morning or a rough night. Uh, But people usually want to manage that at the nighttime. Yeah. So many behaviors are so predictable. You know, like parents get like frustrated, you know, for most parents, let's say that has a child that struggles to go to bed because of fear, anxiety, behavioral stuff, whatever it is. They likely have struggled for a long time. Yet tonight, when the kids struggle to go to bed, they're downstairs going, I can't believe they're not going to bed. Not bed. It's like I can hear them up there. They're not. You know, it's like we can't stand on the bed for four years on time. Why did you think <laughs> it be any different? Exactly. Uh, we like are so disappointed with our expectation. Yeah, you know? <laughs> that's
0: so true. Yeah. Well, I could talk to you forever. You yeah. are so fun to talk to, and these are such good topics. I'll have to have you come back on sometime. I would love to. Yeah. No, this
1: is really really great. And yeah. I, I feel like some of the things you said have been really helpful. I mean, I love just the things that you're doing at home, even and and. You know the the reinforcement of the challenge and, and having a prize for that is really cool. That I think, you know, personally, uh, I can I can I can steal for my kids and then for a lot of the families that we work with because that is exactly it. Lights off. I don't want to do it. Well, I'm not going to make you do it, but I'd like you to challenge yourself. And that's how you yeah. do it, right? That's how it has to be
0: you got to empower. you got to empower, otherwise it'll never stick. Yes. So, is there a place where people can find you or hear more from you?
1: Yeah, I'm working on having a a YouTube, I have a YouTube channel, um, and so it's called Fighting Fear with Kevin, um, and I talk a lot about, I talk about parenting and and working with kids, and I also just talk about, you know, there are two or three minute videos about the nuances of exposure therapy and challenging fear and, and those kind of things, and then uh, my website is northwestanxiety.com
0: And so you can check that out. That's awesome. I will leave links below, um, links to your YouTube channel and your website. Great. And I hope that we'll be talking again.
1: Thank you so much. I appreciate it. It's great.
0: Right. Take care. Well, I hope you enjoyed listening to our conversation as much as I enjoyed having it. I like talking to Kevin. I think his ideas and the way that he views life resonates with the way that I view life and the way that I like to parent and the way I like to help parents as well. Go to his website and check out his work at nwanxiety.com and definitely subscribe to his YouTube channel because he offers some wonderful advice for free through his YouTube videos. And you can check that out at fighting fear with Kevin Ashworth on YouTube. Well, I hope that you're enjoying my podcast. And if you are, please don't forget to hit a star on iTunes to show your support for the show or leave a comment and share with everyone what you're getting from the podcast. As always, I like to end the podcast with reading one of your comments, not to toot my own horn, but to show my gratitude for somebody leaving a comment. So Izzy wrote helpful podcast. Natasha's podcast has been so helpful. I'm learning how to help my daughter through her OCD and anxiety struggles with Natasha's podcasts and videos. I just enrolled in her online parenting class for OCD. I'll do my best to try to help my daughter. It breaks my heart, but hearing her podcast makes me feel less alone. Her YouTube videos for kids have been helpful for my daughter. It's very hard to find specialized therapy for OCD without having to drive very far or have to pay cash for services, not covered by insurance with her tools. We will do our best to help our daughter battle OCD and anxiety. Thank you so much, Izzy. That is the whole purpose because so many people can't access services and that is not okay. So that's my mission in life is to give you some access to the tools that can help your kids. So I hope that you all have a wonderful day. Don't forget to find the sparkle in everything you do. And I'll talk to you next Tuesday. Thank you for listening to AD Parenting Survival Podcast. For more tips and parenting support, visit anxioustoddlers.com.